0: Hello, you're listening to BPP's Diversity and Inclusion podcast. This is part one of episode five in celebration of International Women's Day. This episode is centering around themes of domestic abuse, and we're joined by an incredible guest today. My name is Mahini Katacha. I am a DNI ambassador at BPP and a current LPC student. I'm hosting this episode alongside my incredible and wonderful co host, Patricia Kugan.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, thank you for the introduction, Mihini. Um, I'm currently studying the PGDL part time at BPP as well, and also a DI ambassador. Um, I'm really looking forward to today's discussion and really, really grateful for Natasha joining us.
0: Thank you, Pat. So yeah, we have an incredible guest with us today. Her name is Natasha Saunders. She's a domestic abuse survivor and an active advocate and campaigner against domestic abuse and does a lot of work with Refuge, which is a UK charity for women and children against domestic abuse. So we'll be asking her about her experience and advice that she might have. But before I do that, I would just like to pass over and thank Natasha for joining us today and ask her for a brief introduction.
2: Hi, it's lovely to be here. Um, As I said, I campaign against domestic abuse. I'm for women and children. Um, I've worked with Refuge for about two years now. I'm now a national um, spokesperson for them. Uh, We've recently had success with the Naked Threat campaign, which was um, securing the threat to outlaw, well, threats to share intimate images becoming against the law. And um, that was fantastic to see that that's under the DA bill, but there's
0: still so much to do, Um, as you know. it keeps you very busy. Thank you for the introduction. So before we begin I would just like to address the listeners and say if anyone feels affected by the themes we're discussing we will be referring to resources throughout and especially towards the end of the episode so please do check those out. So our first theme sort of centres on coping with domestic abuse and getting out of a toxic and or abusive relationship and I think before we launch into that as it's quite a big topic with lots to unpack sort of like to talk about the misconceptions and myths that might surround that because when you think about domestic abuse I think a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction to that is it's physical and that's sort of it but as a lot of people know there's more to it than that and it can include a lot more things so Natasha I wondered if you could sort of speak to that and we'll move on from there.
2: Absolutely thank you um (sighs) I think one of the major things is, is like you say, the knee-jerk reaction is, is it physical? In fact, when I left and and I went to the police, in my initial statement, I do say multiple times, well, he never physically assaulted me. But actually, there were times where he'd, he'd have his hands around my throat, he would drag me from room to room, he would manhandle me, and I didn't really address that. But aside from that, the main abuse I suffered was sexual. Um, I was raped throughout our relationship, I was raped the night after I gave birth to my son, Um, and for a long time, I didn't want to address that, we're not raised as women, we're raised that if a man puts his hands on you, you get up and you walk out that door, we're not raised that If you wake up to somebody having sex with you, or you wake up and they're forcing themselves on you and you're like, no, 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 and they keep going and they keep going until in the end you go along with it, literally in your head you go, I'm going along with this just to get it over with, that's rape. You have been coerced into a sexual act you do not want to do. There is the bullying, the manipulation. I was controlled by looks. the time I was less than a year in and I think we also have this huge misconception of that it's normally middle-aged down in life women with a few kids behind them probably in a council house you know and I've actually met women in the course of my work I've met women who have who have founded multi-million pound companies and come forward and said actually I've I've been abused I've met women from all backgrounds all ages all levels of education it doesn't discriminate I mean we can give domestic abuse that it's throughout our society and we really need to open up the doors and say hey this stigma here is you know if you ever feel that somebody says something to you and you cannot open your mouth to your partner and state your case back to them that's unhealthy and if there is fear involved That is abuse because my husband now, who is my absolute best friend in the world, I'm surrounded by so many amazing friends, but he is my best friend. I could walk into the kitchen after this podcast and say, hey, do you know what? I don't want to be together anymore. And although we'd sit down and we'd discuss it like adults, there would be absolutely no fear there. There is nothing that I'm scared to say. There's no opinion that I'm afraid to state. And that's how you should be
0: any relationship less than that is very likely to be an unhealthy relationship yeah thank you for sort of shedding a bit of light on that I think as you rightly said it is a misconception and there's a lot of myths that go with it as you talked about different women not thinking that they could be subject to domestic abuse and that's definitely not the case or feeling embarrassed thinking it only happens to a specific type of person when that's really not the case I think that moves on to our question about any advice you might have for someone who's in that sort of mindset of denial and Mm -hmm. what you might say to them in order to help them come to terms with their situation and look to get out of it I think there are so many women I get women
2: message me through my social media on on a daily basis and as far afield as Honduras and places like that I've had people contact me and one of the biggest things is identifying and once you've identified it there's that huge step of not accepting it but saying okay I am in a situation that I don't want to be in what am I going to do about it there is this huge stigma of when you reach out there's I mean it took three years for my my ex-husband to be convicted and this time three years ago the trial was sort of wrapping up and and you feel guilty until proven innocent and it's a huge it's a massive failing in the legal system, but it's a massive failing in society and their perceptions. If a woman needs help, you help her. You don't, you don't go, oh, wow, well, you live in a bigger house than me, or, well, you, you don't have to, you just walk away. I mean, I walked away from my house with two children and two carrier bags, and I can tell you now I've never done anything so scary in my whole life. You don't realize how much you need a pizza cutter until you don't have fun or a bottle opener when your friends come around to celebrate you moving into your flat or moving in. In in my first night in my flat, walking into my lounge, which had a rug. That was it. I had nothing else. And what women fear is that. But what they need to know is that that first step forward is the first step of the rest of their life. I lived in a prison I didn't have friends I didn't have family I didn't go out I didn't socialize I didn't speak out for myself I didn't I didn't have any any worth that's how I felt and I'm six years free now and my life is better than I ever could have imagined it and that's not because I'm married to my best friend that's irrelevant you know um he adds to everything I am but I'm not dependent on him you know at the end of the day people change will we be together forever I like to think so but in reality we need to be independent people I've got my own back now women need to recognize all of the different avenues that are open to them refuges aren't these squalid horrible rat infested drug dens that we're made to believe they are. They're full of women who, okay, nobody in refuge did I meet who had a similar background to me or they weren't even from the same place or, but we all had something in common and that was we were really hurt. And we were hurt in a society that should be strong enough to protect us. We are the fifth richest country in the world. I am baffled that we lack the resources to support women i i don't it really i mean it's why i lobby government so much i'm always going oh where's this money going where's that money going you're pushing it into program you know unlicensed programs for perpetrators you're saying you're not taking money from from da victims but you actually are there are so many options available councils and the nhs so many people i've spoken to just recently Yesterday, I, I took part in an uh, NHS think tank and the head researcher is getting back in contact. He wants to make it easier for DA victims to be able to get what they need when they don't have evidence because they've walked away. And that made me go, wow, we're changing. We're actually we're progressing as a, as a society. Um, women, when they reach out, that help will be there for them. And it is difficult to leave. I think it's unfair when people go just leave you'll be okay it is difficult I don't think we should lie to any woman but it's worth it it's so worth it and there is absolutely nothing on earth more valuable than your life.
0: Yeah thank you so much I'm so sorry that you have been through that but I'm so happy to hear that you're in such a strong and happy position now and in terms of asking for help it's so important to emphasize that help should not be caveated by any means and your self of identity should never come from any one person, which is why it's so lovely to hear that yours comes from you, because then it can't be taken away from you and isn't dependent on anyone else. And I think for young girls especially, that's such an important message to take away because you know we're growing up in an age where we see Instagram models who are perfect and everywhere we look, it's just flawless and that's not what we see in ourselves. And when you add a domestic approach abusive relationship on top of that just makes it really insufferable so my next sort of point to ask is what advice might you have to younger girls particularly girls in lockdown who might be having threats to share intimate media or things like that what what might you say to them well, actually, it's almost ironic. Um, I today have had to make
2: a, a report to West Mercia police because my ex-husband has disclosed intimate images of me to in family court proceedings. Um, completely unnecessary, completely unrelated. Um, it's a hearing that I'm not even part of, but he's just disclosed those away. I think there are so many ways of looking at it. Um, I try not to be perfect on Instagram I used to I used to try really hard with my pictures and I took a long break from Instagram I said actually I have an 11 year old daughter and I mean I'm having my teeth reconstructed I've had six out so far and and because of my ex and things and one of the things I said to my dentist was do not give me a perfect smile because I don't want to go onto Instagram one day and be like and it'd be a Ross from Friends smile you know um I think during lockdown, there's been a lot of pressure on younger girls to disclose those intimate images. I think the problem is we live in a digital age now and it's so, so simple to snap a picture and not think about it. I spoke to my daughter's head teacher. Um, she's in year seven, so she's at secondary school. And what I didn't realize was that a child taking an intimate image of themselves and sending it to somebody else is actually committing a crime. And I did not know this. And I said to him about it. And he said, well, yeah, actually, you know, he's had it a few times. He said, it's always unfortunately been girls. He said, I'm not generalizing, but that's, you know, and he said the pressure to send those images and them not realizing the second it leaves their hands, they are essentially giving it away. Not everybody respects you. I mean, I would also tell any girl that, that had images disclosed or threats to share, report it to the police. When I spoke to West Mercia police today, they have logged it as a sexual crime. They are treating it as a matter of importance, despite the fact that my abuser is in prison and has been in prison for three years this Friday. No, I shouldn't be going through it. However, they have responded really, really well, which is encouraging because I didn't know what to expect. I think you should never hesitate to report it. I think if those images end up out there and somebody is spiteful enough to sort of share it in a group chat or something, you know what, own it, you're beautiful, who cares, they've shared it to spite you, just be like, yeah, you know what, this is my address and I'm great, you know, just, just do not let anybody drive you into the ground over your body, if you do disclose an image of yourself and it does get out there, and it'll be old news within a day or so, you know, don't take it personally, do report it, it is against the law, you know, and do always share any image that you share, think about it, think twice and then think for a third time, but at the end of the day, do not let anybody shame you, I am so tired, I'm so tired of of the allegations of, well, you got with somebody very quickly after you left your ex-husband. I'm sorry, I didn't realize there was a time frame. I must have missed the leaflet. You know, it is very much, people are so opinionated. And one of my favorite sayings is, what others think of you is none of your business. And I have basically learned that, I don't, I don't care, like I used to, it took me so long to video myself on Instagram. And I was like, oh, but I, I don't like the way I talk or the way I sit. And I was really embarrassed. I said, you know, what am I, what am I embarrassed for? Like somebody might watch that or hear that or see that and take it away from the you know, they'll take a go from there and take away a positive message. And that's what we should all be doing on social media. Let's give everybody a bit of positivity. Let's get make everybody feel like it's not a competition. And so I think for young girls out there, you know the top three things report well think report it if it happens and own it you know what whatever life's too short and let everybody look they'll only be jealous don't worry about it you know it's one of those things where I think the more we I, I actually in the midst of the, the threats to share campaign I asked one guy that I knew so well one guy said yes I said have you ever um you ever had like any images because i know he's you know a bit of a player and i said you ever have any images shared he went yeah he went there was this girl i was going out with and she shared it in a mate's group chat and i was like oh how did you feel he went i texted my address and was like i'm in all evening and i was like well you're not embarrassed he was like no he was like it wasn't like i sent a bad photo was it and I, i thought about it and i thought do you know none of us would take an unflattering photo of ourselves you know let's be honest we're gonna make sure like i'm gonna suck in my mitchellin man rolls if i'm gonna take a photo of myself you know i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of like bend my leg a bit i don't want everybody to see my butt looking like the moon with all the craters in it no 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 it's going to look perfect And I was like, actually, if I've sent somebody a photo like that, honey, get it on a poster. Go for it. You're going to prison for it. That's fine. You know, my daughter's 11. She will be taught, you know, safe sex. She'll be taught responsible, being a responsible female. But she'll also be taught empowerment if she does want to sleep with another person. Go sleep with another person. Be careful. Be safe. Don't be stupid. Knock yourself out. You know, I think, yeah, we just need to we need to relax those stigmas. And we also need to make sure that the people that are sharing these images and breaching intimate trust, because it is intimate trust. And it is a, there's a whole level of respect there. When somebody isn't adhering to that, then I think, yeah, by, by all means, they should be prosecuted. You know, I'm not saying if somebody shares your image, go, oh, I'm not bothered, that's okay. No, report it to the police. If the police don't take it seriously, ask for it to be looked at again you know push your cause because when it's wrong it's wrong and the more we stand up for it the more it'll be recognized but also once you've reported it just own it don't worry about it anymore
0: <laughs> i think that's really great advice and it reminds me of a saying that my dad always says to me opinions are like armpits everybody has them but most of them stink so i think yeah. everyone needs to remember. i love that <laughs> And in terms of talking about empowerment, that definitely made me feel very empowered. And it sort of links to my final question for this theme, which is how can you unapologetically set your own comfort levels and boundaries in a relationship? Because sometimes, you know, the word stigma does get thrown around a lot when we talk about this topic. But there are a lot of stigmas with with this area. So I wondered what you might say to setting boundaries Think setting bound you've got to be in the right
2: place what I found is that which is hypocritical of me because I I got with Ben like three months after I left we moved in together five months into our relationship you know we had a baby within a year we got married within two years like we weren't rushing or anything but we'd both done it wrong previously and when you when you've done it wrong you know when you're doing it right but there's a whole different context of the I've seen it with people close to me and I, I've observed it with people, you know, in society in general, that there's this desperation to fit into the stigma of that by 30, you should be married with a car and a Labrador and a baby. And and it's like, you you don't, you don't. Had I not not had any choice in having my kids, I probably wouldn't have had them until my late 20s i you know i had so much i wanted to accomplish in my life and i think if you want to have children young then by all means do but you have to if you get if you get into a relationship and you feel you can't set those boundaries and have them respected you probably shouldn't be there you're probably not in the right headspace you know can i assert myself oh god yeah let's put it this way our rabbit brought in a rabbit our cat brought in a baby rabbit and he broke its front leg. It's like this big, wild rabbit. We live in the middle of a field, oh, no. basically. And um, my husband was like, we're not keeping it. Put it back outside. It's now in the downstairs bathroom in Hamster Cage, where it's been for a week now. Because you have to keep it confined, according to the vet. And uh, I said to him, "Like, should I just let go of Gunter? We've called him Gunter. Once you name it, you start getting attached to it and all that. And he was like, no, no, don't let him go yet. No, no. I thought, aha. See, that's hurting. He was like, no rabbit. I was like, rabbit. Do you see what I mean? There's this whole, it's like, but there are, you know, I've never ever felt pressured into sex. As a woman, you don't owe a man your body at all. I have been very, very unwell over the past six years. I've morphine patched up to my arm. I take seven or eight tablets a day. I mean, it used to be 19, so it's improved um, for pain, for nerve damage, for various other issues. There have been times where I am too ill to even think about sex. But my husband has never, ever once made me feel like I have to try and ignore that. He will get into bed and give me a hug and stroke my hair or just snuggle into me. Or, oh, I bought you your favourite chocolate or, you know, and it's no more than with him. If he's stressed with work, if he's, we, we share the chores around the house. You know, actually that's a lie he probably does more than I do but that's only because of my health but we do we both respect each other you know we will both do different things our money is our money you know there is no his money my money you know and I mean if you do have a relationship like that it's none of my business but I think you have to have those boundaries if somebody is draining you of emotion of your well-being of your financial situation you know your fund if they're draining you of your relationships whatever negativity they're drawing to you you really have to look at whether or not you've got the right boundaries and if you feel you can't set those boundaries then you need to be empowered enough to walk away.
0: Yeah absolutely and I think it's sad that you describing your relationship makes me think oh that's really nice because that just is what it should be anyway yeah Um, yeah as standard fact yeah mutual respect and comfort level shouldn't be something that people look upon with admiration it should just be our standard way of being with people so I really Mm -hmm. genuinely hope that anyone listening can take sort of guidance from that and understand that if their situation isn't reflecting this then there might be cause for concern and there is concern to address um that's what's so important i think people forget that
2: everybody says oh you've got a fairy tale and i'm like we've been through hell we've been through a rape case we've had two children we've needed to to coach through that we've had my health we've had you know so many things and yeah we we're, we're you know, we're so lucky that we've got each other emotionally. And I do have friends who who will go d- are the same age as us, and they'll go, oh, you know, I thought I'd be settled down by now and stuff. And I'm like, trust me, I've settled down with the wrong person. I know not every man is a rapist, but there's such... There's still a patriarchy. I think if we were... There was less stigma with females than there are with
0: males. May- so... Thank you so much. I think that brings us quite nicely to what we wanted to talk about under theme two, which is life moving on after your toxic relationship and after you've managed to get help. And I'll pass over to Pat to take the reins on this part.
1: Thank you for that um, Mahini. And I really enjoyed um, listening to how empowering your messages have been in what you're saying, Natasha um so kind of in relation to empowerment um many survivors battle with being open about their past experience while others prefer to remain silent what was it for you that helped you decide to be open about your experiences um and what would you say to people who do choose to remain anonymous and then finally how important do you Think it is to have that decision and make it and make that decision um and how that helps a survivor's recovery
2: so it's a brilliant question um i think that for me it was really important for me to speak out and share with other women that there was a better life and that there's a better way forward um i wanted to give back to refuge They, after all they saved my life Um, If I hadn't have rung that helpline that day, I might not be here now. So, And also, you know, I've got three children. I want them to grow up in a a decent society that understands and appreciates everybody, you know. Um, And so I was well aware when the conviction happened that I was in the minority of people that had secured a conviction. And so in essence, I was safe to speak out. There was no fear of reprisal other than the harassment I've had through the family courts and you know I don't regret that decision I've had a few people go well, what about your children and things and I'm like well they're going to find out sooner or later and at the end of the day they're not exposed to the type of media I do they don't it's not like they're sat in the room when I have a conversation you know one day we will talk about it they know the basics of, of why we left and things um you know our eight-year-old the other night gave me a, a slipped his one pound pocket money onto my knee at bedtime and I said oh what's this for and he said um oh, I want to give it to Refuge, because I'm really proud of the work that you do. So I think, you know, being public and, and sharing your story can be really important. But I also think not enough respect is given to survivors who do choose to remain anonymous. I think that they, there's, there's this whole sort of, difficulty in empathising with somebody where you don't have their face or their details but I just have so much respect for people who can still find the strength to speak out even when there's risk or, or they're still healing from that it is important to being able to do it yourself and to make that choice it's empowering
1: yeah I would I would definitely agree I think I think at the end of the day it is up to the survivor but if I mean there can be so much empowerment that comes from deciding to be open about it and advocating for others in a similar position um, so as you mentioned earlier you've got quite a solid support network around you um, it's not something that you should that should be regarded as lucky but in a way you are lucky it to is have, lucky
2: though isn't it
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: um my husband is is genuinely my best friend um he's the first person i go to over anything not because he controls what i say or what i do but because we support each other through everything you know with what we've been through you have to otherwise we would we clearly wouldn't still be together you know but then i also have a really healthy support network of friends outside of that who i go right well obviously pre-lockdown um like riding with and and went out with and, and go to concerts with and stuff like that so you know i'm ever so lucky i have my husband's family are very supportive i've got my sister who is who is great she's younger than me but she's really understanding and really supportive of of what i do and so it's it's it is lucky but i think for women who perhaps don't have that support network there are so many other options in i've just got involved as a volunteer coordinator and project manager in shropshire domestic abuse Um, And it's something I'm really looking forward to connecting. I'm actually doing a social prescribing event tomorrow because I'm looking forward to being able to signpost women to people that can support them and signpost them to groups of women who have been through similar experiences. And sometimes you, you do need somebody who, I mean, my husband had, quite a narcissistic ex-wife who who was not very you know not particularly nice and so we both understand what it's like to second guess your choices to sometimes ask yourself whether or not you're, you're doing the right thing or to not feel quite as confident and I mean with my husband and I we don't even need to actually say those moments where we go um other one of us will sort of go go on you know this will be amazing you know you'll smash it or no that'll be fine I know you can do it or you know and I think those having your your cheerleaders so to speak it's so important so important whether they're friends family or they are a support network that you're building as you are post you know post survival rebuilding your life people can come onto your path from so many different walks
1: Mm -hmm. so that that was kind of leading on to the question that I wanted to ask which was um, if you are a family member or a concerned friend how would you suggest for that person to best support someone who has been through um, domestic abuse? So the
2: Refuge website has an amazing um, array of of advice for if you think a a friend or family member may be in an abusive situation if you you know are looking to support them there is a lot of one of the the best things that i would suggest though i'm no expert is to listen sometimes you need to listen and, and just don't provide judgment it's very easy to go, well, why didn't you just leave? But my, my response to that with my ex-husband is, why didn't he not rape me? It's quite simple. If I could get up and walk out the door, surely he could control himself, right? You know, it's a very, when we were trying to outlaw threats to share we would have people going. well, don't send those images then. And I said, well, I hope you don't get on a plane and die in a plane crash because that will totally be your fault. You know, it, it, we need to really, as a society, lean back and go, okay, tell me about what you've been through. Tell me how that made you feel. And then instead of going, oh, goodness me, that's dreadful, put yourself there just for a moment. Imagine what it's like, you know, an example off the top of my head, me laying in bed, at two o'clock in the morning with my rapist asleep next to me and two children in the house thinking I don't know what I'm going to do no one cares if I'm alive or dead is this life is this marriage is this what it was supposed to be you know because you don't know and you don't have any basis and you know a lot of people went oh you seem like the perfect family well sometimes looks can be deceiving okay sometimes you can smile in someone's face and in time inside you're screaming you know it's it's very closely linked with mental health at the end of the day somebody can look okay on the outside and on the inside be completely different
1: yeah that actually kind of reminds me of um a meme on instagram i saw the other day where it was a picture of all the people that have um Committed I mean, suicide because of their mm-hmm. depression, and yep. everyone's smiling, and it says yeah. this is what yeah. depression looks like. Yeah. So it's exactly yeah. so as you explained. Um, and yeah, I think generally listening to people and giving them the space to open up and being non-judgmental, um, is so, so it sounds like something so simple but so effective. It does, um, and I think
2: we just we really need to sort of hammer home that concept of. It's not as simple as listening. You do have to actually think with every single person. I, I, I recently heard a story, and I'm not going to elaborate on it. But I heard a story, and my immediate response was, "Well, you won't have to worry about them anymore then, you know." And then I realised that if it was me, and I was in that situation, I would experience a hundred different emotions. Ones that never crossed my mind when I flippantly went, "Well, that's not a problem then, is it?" Yeah, of course it's a problem. It's when people say, well, that's the first world problem. And a lot of survivors, their first words to me are, my abuse wasn't as bad as yours, but. I didn't go through as bad, you know, as, as things like you, but. And I'm like, hang on. If you have walked through your own hell, be it abuse, addiction, bereavement, you know, job loss, home loss, anything like that, and you have walked through you know what it's like. It's not a competition. It's not a, you know, well, well, how many times did he hit you? Because my ex hit me more than you. That's not like that. And until you view things as, oh, well, I'd be fine in that situation. You have no real understanding of it, and you can't really support somebody. As I said, there's, there's quite a lot of really really good stuff on the refuge website for concerned friends and family members and that helpline's there you know if you do need advice and it's open 365 days a year 24 hours a day you will get a non-judgmental understanding person if you're a victim and you are even once you leave it's not whilst you're in that situation post-leaving you can phone them, I phone them twice and whether you're a family member or you are the person or you're a friend that support is there and there's no judgment if you need to reach out.
0: It actually reminds me of something we spoke about on the last episode we did and our guest Daniel Winterfeld was talking to us about his experience in the gay community and how people had a fascination with the Sufferings Olympics and I really like the way he phrased that because people don't understand that pain is simply pain it doesn't matter what the extent of it is it's still yours and it doesn't take away from the truth of what you experienced yeah that that's perfect (laughs) absolutely perfect
1: yeah um and it was something that i noticed as well um so i previously worked on the helpline with solace um which if, if our listeners don't know it's um a charity another charity for survivors of domestic and sexual abuse um and a lot of the time, the survivors that asked for us or they simply needed was someone to listen and that yeah. was it and not be judged, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's um, so important. Yeah, um, so moving on from that, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the work that you've been a part of and um, how that has affected the domestic abuse bill. Um, There's been a lot of recent amendments, such as um, the new offence of non-fatal strangulation, which has been introduced, um, controlling or coercive behaviour offences, which extend to include abuse where perpetrators and victims no longer live together. And as you mentioned, um, the threats of revenge-born offences with intimate images um yeah so um a lot of work from refuge uh refuge was involved with a lot of that work um, and with the naked Mm -hmm. threat campaign alongside lots of politicians um, and other refuge supporters and celebrities Mm -hmm. um so i was just hoping for our listeners that you could shed some light on what these changes mean for survivors and um yeah
2: okay so originally um i had COVID about this time last year and i on a whim emailed my local mp uh saying basically i want to start harassing you and and you need to listen to me and uh, strangely she got back to me and we had a call and and i then spoke to um the head of policy at refuge and we were discussing the threats to share intimate images um and I said to her, you know, it'll, it'll always sort of boggle my mind that, that my police officer's advice was come back when he shares them. And Refuge were sort of structuring a campaign called the Naked Threat. Um, and I took a, a, an active role in uh, raising awareness um, through my local MP from where I used to live, Ruth Edwards, um, who's the MP for Rushcliffe. Uh, she used to be the ex-head of cybersecurity at BT, so she has a really good understanding of the internet, which is really helpful for an MP of our, our sort of, uh, you know, our digital age, as she so well put it. Um, and she shared my story in the House of Commons, um, I spoke to Alex Chalk, who's under secretary at the Department of Justice. I then had a Zoom call with Vicky Atkins of the Home Office, and I, I shared my story with them. Um, We then spoke with Nicky Morgan. Um, We had um, AMVBBDO, which is a huge global advertising company, very kindly donated their time and effort to creating a video for us of which I voiced over and we launched outside the Houses of Parliament um, with Nicky Morgan and uh, Zara McDermott from Love Island um and amazingly just under forty-five thousand women joined in by sending an email to alex chalk and vicky atkins which was a really awkward moment when i spoke to vicky and she went i've got all of your emails thank you and i was like yeah sorry about that (laughs) i was like i'm sorry but i'm not actually sorry i was like they're not my emails and she was like oh i thought they were all set up by you i was like no 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 (laughs) um but yeah so we sort of the answer we kept getting was, "We will look at it um, under the Online Harms uh, Commission investigations going on. Law Commission doing this investigation into online harms. Let's let's look at it then." And the answer was like, "No, this is happening now. There's no time like the present." Um, obviously, it wasn't. It, it failed in Commons, um, and then it went to Lords, and I think we got about ninety-three peers supporting it. And in the end, the amendment was accepted, which means threats to share intimate images will be illegal in England and Wales under the DA bill. So instead of going, oh, yeah, come back when he shares them, of which you have no idea where they've ended up, you will now be able to, they will face up to two years in jail. And given that a lot of this happens by text, it will be hopefully quite easy to see those those prosecution rates at a, at a steady level because the police will have the evidence they need. It's right there in front of them, you know. Um, obviously the non-facial strangulation laws are long overdue and they they so necessary. Um, Baroness Newlove did such a good job in campaigning for the post-separation coercive control amendment. Um, for somebody like me, again, I've experienced post separation abuse now for six years, um, I've had every allegation thrown at me, I have had, they they stopped recording how many reports to the police, how many reports to social services, in the end they earmarked his number as malicious and threatened to get a restraining order, you know, they were that intense, um, and so as somebody that even had a stalker in another country set on them that that faced their own criminal charges over the things that they were putting about me online the fact that post-separation abuse will be covered is an amazing amazing thing because people assume that you walk away and anything they say after that point is okay but what actually happens was even whilst I was on the phone today to 101 is you feel about this big all over again you're straight back with them you know having to tell a police officer that pictures of me have been disclosed that I need to make a report can they please send someone out and all that sort of thing it's all very violating and so These measures are, there's still so much more work to be done, of course. Um, And alongside Refuge, I, I continue to campaign for a long time to come, but these particular changes will make our society safer. If they're implemented correctly and the police are given the correct training, so they can apply these laws because at the end of the day everybody is "Well, the police can just do it and it's like there are lots of laws in our country and you really can't expect every single police officer to know all the law Um, and so you know we do need to give them the right training and that's something i'm going to start harassing alex to talk about very imminently Um, and they do need to have that that you know that information readily available to them We do need to know what the evidence, sort of the bar is. We need to know, you know, how it's going to be defined. But I think all three are, will be functional in our society at reducing these crimes. Women just need to be encouraged to actually report them. And we need to be able to have the confidence in the police to act on them. Because what I'm tired of hearing is, especially rape cases, going to, I mean, when I, I went to court and, saw my perpetrator jailed. I think the rape conviction rate was like 7.5% then or something. And that was quite a mortifying idea. And the fact that it's gone down to 1% is even, even more terrifying. And I recently know of somebody who had their rape case dropped and she turned around and went, no, I'm not happy with this. You've got evidence. And it's gone back to the CPS. And it turned out that half the evidence wasn't submitted by the police force, who are now under investigation. But that's not good enough that should not have happened there are women out there I mean my husband he said earlier he sat at his desk literally opposite mine because we work in the same room so we can chatter constantly and um he turned around and he said what about the women and men that are going through what we're going through with the court so all of these these you know this paperwork and these allegations and this name calling and unnecessary disclosure of intimate things what about the people that are on their own he went because we've got each other he went there are women who are opening this he said their perpetrator might have gone off of rape not guilty but we all know he's guilty we just couldn't get it beyond reasonable doubt and he's like this is awful and I went yeah like the amount of times I've gone, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I mean, you get to a point where you go, What am I fighting for? It seems like nobody's in my corner. So I think these laws will have, an, you know, once the bill is passed, they will have a hugely positive effect. So fingers crossed, anyway.
0: Thank you, Natasha. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to quickly introduce Lucy Barnes to the discussion as well. Lucy, is our second guest she's a fellow diversity and inclusion ambassador as well as a domestic violence survivor so it'll be really great to get your thoughts on this lucy so welcome to welcome to the discussion thank you for joining us and what thoughts do you have on what the recent amendments to the domestic abuse bill might have for survivors and any thoughts on natasha's fantastic work with refuge on the naked threat campaign
3: yeah, definitely, and I love um, Natasha's work so much and what she did. It was just so brave, um, and I love to see it. And I think with the bill as well, um, just show, just just finally having something where the government recognizes how um, many women suffer from domestic abuse and violence, and and you know, getting rid of some of the stereotypes that people have assumed because it's never the woman, you know, the woman's not weak, and that's what I guess the government. Up until this point, haven't have failed to take a stand on. Whereas now they're finally recognising how many women suffer, and it just gives justice to them. And there's so many provisions that. Um um that will that will protect women especially in the courts because currently they've got navigate so many different crimes because there isn't a crime for domestic abuse so they go to court and they have to go you know abh coercive control controlling behavior or rape and all of those separately and it just confuses it's so confusing and that's why so many women sadly drop out as well
1: Mm Definitely. And I think as well, the whole process of going to court often takes at least two years. So that can be really discouraging because you have to continually relive the trauma that you experience. I was just going to talk about how there's some disconnect considering the recent events with Sarah Everard and how the police handled those paying their respects as well last weekend in Clapham Common. Um, so what kind of precedent do you think this sets for the future of how you mentioned Natasha about how um, the police have a lot of training to experience domestic violence cases are handled as well and um, what changes do you think are needed in the future?
2: I think it's it's really hard isn't it because you can't help but feel absolutely mortified. I mean I I did a video and I said every woman has looked over their shoulder walking down the street, we've all taken a double look at the car that crawls past us a bit too slowly, the guy in the doorway you know phoned a friend, text our mum to let them know we're home safe. So there really is that whole thing of she should have just gone home. The issue I think with the police officer thing is there's such a patriarchy within the police system still I also do think that there are an awful lot of good police officers. This will probably get me lots of uh, lots of angry comments, but I, you know, there's a 146,700, I think it is, in the UK. You know, they can't all be bad. Unfortunately a lot of people who perpetrate violent crimes towards women are naturally drawn to positions of power so you know you're looking at whether it's in the legal system whether it's in the police whether they are you know doing anything that they feel gives them some sort of uh, leg up over other people in society and so i don't think that it's every police officer that we we can't trust as such but i think there's so much work that needs to be done there to to bridge that gap you know i hope for the future that when sarah's name has been dropped from all of the papers we will learn from it i don't think we have anything to learn in particular but i hope that we can offer knowledge and we can offer a way forward to systems that are outdated and no longer work for a modern society you know there needs to be of course we're a democracy and we can't go you abused me and we're going to take away your voice You can't do that because there will, unfortunately, always be a tiny number of people who will make false allegations, but they are minuscule. It is ridiculous to even consider them compared to the scale of underreported crimes, if you add that to the reported crimes. And I just hope that going forward, we
3: can bridge those gaps so less women fall down them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And... I wonder if you've got any thoughts as well
3: on it, Lucy. Oh, definitely. I mean, even just from sort of like a, you know, um, a legal perspective, it's just so obviously like an abuse of uh, force. It's unreasonable use of force, no matter what way you look at it, even if we don't know the whole context and what we've seen, it's, it's not a proportionate reaction. I think it's worth adding
2: there as well, Lucy, that, and I actually had the, the head of Hampshire police say to me a while ago on a call that rape is the most traumatic event a human being can survive. And I think that sums it up.
3: And that will always sum it up for me. And, and sadly, so many don't survive. Um, it's underreported, the amount of women that commit suicide because they can't physically handle that. Um, and then eating disorders that come about because of that as well, because the body's natural response to trauma is to just the body senses it when the mind doesn't want to because you just block it out
1: absolutely and you're already coping with enough as it is and the loneliness that you're already experiencing so then I can only imagine how terrible that would make a person feel so I think that's all the questions that I have
0: thank you everyone for the insight that you've shared with us today I really hope that the messages that we've put forward can help someone who who is listening and before we sort of wrap up for today I think it might just be helpful to renamed the resources that we've touched upon I don't know if we want to start with you Natasha if you could quickly list perhaps yeah of course
2: well you've got the refuge domestic abuse helpline which is up above me which is 0808 and that is open to you 365 days a year 24 hours a day you will never be judged during working hours there is an online chat now uh, refuge also has a tech tool which is fantastic at checking what your privacy settings are if there's tracking on your phone and things it's really good um and of course there's that wealth of information on their website whether it's you a friend or a family member you will be able to find
0: something relevant on the refuge main website thank you and we have a few more that we've noted women's and girls network solace the havens and women's aid and we'll make a note of all of those in our description so hopefully those will be helpful to someone that needs them so i think the final thing to do is just to say thank you very much for joining us today we've really enjoyed our discussion we have part two coming up which is centering on the importance of mentorship and networking for women in the legal profession To check that out, and until then, take care. Bye.